0: Chapter 5, Resistance. Jack was too terrified to speak. Annie slowly held up two fingers and a V is for victory sign. What is she doing, Jack thought wildly. We don't know who this guy is. The man glared at Annie for a moment. Then his craggy face broke into a smile and he held up his fingers in a matching V. Oh man, Jack thought. Did we really just find a member of the French Resistance? Who are they, Gaston? A woman called from the barn doorway. Who are you? Gaston asked in a raspy voice. "J, Jack stuttered, terrified. Jean and Amy, Annie said quickly. Annie's a good spy, Jack thought. He'd completely forgotten their French names. Really, said the man. Are those your real names? Annie laughed. No, our real names are Jack and Annie. Oh, brother, Jack thought. She's a terrible spy. And what are Jack and Annie doing in our barn? Asked Gaston. We're hiding from the Nazis, Annie said. Well then, said Gaston, you are in the right place. For the moment, you are safe, children, said the woman, stepping forward. She wore a shawl around her shoulders and a kerchief over her dark hair. Hello, my dears. My name is Suzette, and this is my husband, Gaston. Nice to meet you, said Annie. Come with us. Back to our house, said Suzette. Jack and Annie climbed out from behind the hay bales and followed the French couple to the door of the barn. Before they left, Gaston blew out his lantern light. Silence, he ordered, until we get into the house. Gaston and Suzette led Jack and Annie through the dark to the front door of the small stone farmhouse. Once they were inside, Jack and Annie looked around the room. It had a low ceiling, candles burned on a heavy wooden table, a fire flickered in a large fireplace. Suzette placed an iron bar over the front door while Gaston closed the window shutters. Sit, children, said Suzette. We will have apple cider and we will share our dinner. Jack and Annie sat at the table near the hearth. A pot hung over the fire. Jack relaxed a little as he smelled roasting potatoes, onions, and carrots. Gaston poured cider into mugs and Suzette prepared four bowls of stew. Then the couple joined Jack and Annie at the table. The fire crackled as they all quietly sipped cider and ate their dinner. When they were finished, Gaston leaned back in his chair and lit a pipe. You know, he said, when the Nazis were here earlier, they were not looking for you. ''They weren't?'' said Annie. ''No, they were looking for two paratroopers who had been spotted dropping into a field near here,'' said Gaston. ''Oh, then they were looking for us,'' said Jack. ''No, no!'' Gaston stopped and gave Jack a funny look. ''Unless you two could be those paratroopers?'' ''Yes, we could be,'' said Annie. ''But no!'' said Gaston. ''How could two children parachute into Normandy? And why?'' We're working with agents of the SOE, said Annie. But no, Gaston said again. Oh my, said Suzette. Are things so bad that children are being recruited as spies now? Well, not just any children, said Annie. We were asked because one of our best friends is an SOE agent. We have information that she is three miles east of Cain. We're supposed to find her and get her out of France. Then you two do not have far to go, said Gaston. We are only four miles northwest of Cain. "'There is great danger, though,' said Suzette. "'The city is surrounded by Nazi patrols. "'You will need the right papers.' "'We have identity cards,' said Annie. "'Good,' said Gaston, standing up. "'Come with me. "'We will hide you here tonight "'and help you get on your way in the morning.' "'Thank you,' said Jack, standing up with Annie. "'Thanks for the dinner,' Annie said to Suzette. "'It is my pleasure to feed two brave children again,' "'Suzette said. "'Why did she say again?' Jack wondered." Come along, Gaston said, waving his arm. Jack and Annie followed him to a room off the kitchen. Gaston pulled aside a floor rug, revealing a trap door. He lifted the door, and then, carrying a lantern, he led Jack and Annie down a staircase to a cellar. Hundreds of wine bottles sat in racks along the walls of the dank, musty room. Suzette will bring bedding, said Gaston, and you can keep the light with you. He placed the lantern on a long table and then started back up the steps. Without looking back, he raised his hand. Good night, he said. Thank you, called Jack and Annie. When he was gone, Annie sat down at the table. Wow, they saved us, she said. For now, said Jack. I wonder what these little rubber blocks are for, said Annie. She picked up a small block from the table and held it to the lantern light. Look, it has the letter H on it. Jack walked over to her. On the table were dozens of small rubber blocks and several stacks of paper. And this one has the letter S, said Annie, holding up another block. Here's a D, said Jack. S and U, they're all letters. It must be a printing set. Check this out, said Annie. She picked up a piece of paper from one of the stacks on the table. She showed it to Jack. He read the print on the page aloud. Hope and courage. Freedom soon. Annie thumbed through more papers in the stack. They all say the same thing, she said. It's a bunch of flyers. Do you think Gaston and Suzette secretly passed them out? Here is your bedding, children, said Suzette, coming down the steps to the cellar. When she saw Annie holding one of the flyers, she stopped. Did you and Gaston print these, Annie asked. Suzette crossed the room and stood in the lantern light. No, we didn't, she said softly. Our sons did. Your sons, asked Annie. Our brave twins, Tom and Theo, said Suzette. They are couriers for the French resistance. What are couriers? asked Jack. Couriers travel on bicycles, delivering messages from one resistance group to another, said Suzette. Tom and Theo also printed flyers to give people hope. On their courier routes, they sometimes posted them when no one was looking. Only one day someone was looking. What happened? asked Annie. Annie. Three months ago, we received word that Tom and Theo were picked up in Paris by the Nazis, said Suzette. So they're in prison now, asked Annie. Suzette took a deep breath. We do not know what has happened to them, she said. I'm sorry, said Annie. Are Tom and Theo children? They are young men, 22 years old, said Suzette, but they will always be our children. Are you and Gaston in the French Resistance too, asked Jack. Suzette nodded. Our job is to gather and send information. She turned away from them, but now my job is to make your beds. We'll help, said Annie. She and Jack helped Suzette spread the threadbare blankets on the floor. I fear you will not be so comfortable, said Suzette, but at least you will be safe. That's all that matters, said Jack. Thank you, Suzette, said Annie, and she hugged the kind Frenchwoman. Try to sleep now, children, said Suzette. You will need all your strength tomorrow to find your friend. Then she climbed the stairs and closed the door to the cellar. That's so sad about their boys, said Annie. Yeah, said Jack. He didn't know what else to say. He was amazed by the courage of Gaston and Suzette. Even after their sons were caught, the couple was willing to risk their lives to help others. So tomorrow we head to Cain, said Annie. Jack nodded. Do you have Kathleen's message? Annie pulled the piece of paper from her pocket and read aloud. Come to me in the darkest time, A wand I need, and a magic rhyme. Three miles east of Sir Kay's grave, cross a river to find a cave. Look for knights and small round cows, a crack in a rock beneath the boughs. So we figured out the first four lines, said Annie. We know Kathleen needs magic, which Teddy forgot to give us. Right, said Jack. And we know we have to go three miles east of a town named Cain, and then cross a river to find a cave. Right, said Annie, and then the weird part. She reread, Look for knights and small round cows, a crack in a rock beneath the boughs. Jack shook his head. His brain was getting foggy. Let's ask Gaston and Suzette in the morning if they have any ideas, he said. Good plan, said Annie. They pulled off their boots and lay down on the ragged blankets. We'll figure it all out tomorrow, Annie murmured. Yeah, right now I'm way too tired, said Jack, closing his eyes. He was exhausted from traveling through time to Glastonbury, flying over the English Channel, parachuting into Normandy, running from planes, lying in a ditch, hiding in a barn, escaping Nazis, and making friends with people in the French Resistance, all between twilight and bedtime. Chapter 6, The Hour of Battle "'Jack, Annie, wake up!' said Suzette. She stood at the bottom of the cellar stairs. "'It is morning! There is news!' Jack opened his eyes. Where were they? He squinted at the racks of wine bottles against the wall and the table with the flyers and the printing set. Then he remembered. A cellar in Normandy, France. He sat up. What news? Annie asked. We just received a message from the London BBC, said Suzette. It was the message we have been waiting for. The hour of the great battle is coming. Tomorrow, June 6th. What battle? asked Jack. The invasion of France, said Suzette. The invasion by the Allies, the English, Scots, Americans, Canadians, and others will all invade France and drive out the Nazis starting tomorrow. Really, said Jack. Yes, said Suzette. Excuse me, I must get back to Gaston. He is getting more news from the BBC over the wireless. She hurried up the steps. Oh, wow, said Annie. Did you hear what she said? Yes, the Allies, said Jack. No, the wireless, interrupted Annie. They have a wireless. Once we find Kathleen, we can come back here and send Teddy a message. You're right, said Jack, but now let's go find out more about that invasion. Jack and Annie dashed up the stairs, taking two steps at a time. Gaston was at the kitchen table. Smoking his pipe, he was hunched over a small open suitcase. Inside was a radio with tubes and knobs. Gaston wore a headset and was listening carefully. Plan Purple, he shouted. Plan Purple, Suzette repeated. Plan Purple? What's that, Jack said. It means all the resistance must act now, she said. They must destroy communication lines to keep the Nazis in the South from finding out about the invasion. Gaston took off his headset and pointed his pipe at Suzette. Plan Green and now Plan Purple. What's Plan Green, said Jack. We received word of Plan Green a few days ago, said Suzette. It called upon resistance fighters to blow up bridges and train tracks to keep enemy troops from traveling here. Why would they travel here, asked Annie. This is where the Allied invasion will take place, said Gaston. Here in Normandy, the Allies will come by air and sea. Tomorrow, they will land on beaches not far from Caen and then fight their way across France. Oh man, I get it now, Jack murmured. D-Day. Tomorrow is D-Day. Listen to me, children, said Gaston. He pointed his pipe at them. You must tell no one what we have just told you. We won't. We promise, said Annie, shaking her head. And you must leave France at once, Gaston said. Now. Leave now, said Jack. Yes. Return to England immediately, said Gaston. There will be terrible fighting here tomorrow. Many bombs will drop. But we have to find our friend Kathleen, said Annie. Ah, you cannot worry about your friend now, Gaston said. You must worry about yourselves. It is quite possible, children, that your friend has already gone south, Suzette said. Perhaps she has crossed the Pyrenees Mountains into Spain. Many people have escaped that way and found safety. We have to at least try to find Kathleen before we can leave, said Annie. That's our mission. Then you have only today to find her, said Gaston. You must leave France by nightfall. We'd better get going then, Annie said. Wait, said Jack. He turned to Gaston. We have a favor to ask. Can you send a message by wireless to our contact in the SOE and let him know that we must be picked up tonight? Yes, I can do that, said Gaston. And I will prepare food for you, said Suzette. And I'll get our stuff, said Annie. Suzette and Annie left the kitchen. Gaston grabbed a piece of paper and a pencil. "'What should the message say?' he asked Jack. "'The unicorn is free, nightfall June 5th,' said Jack. "'The unicorn is free, nightfall June 5th,' Gaston repeated as he wrote down the message. "'I like that,' he said, nodding. "'The unicorn is free. "'It sounds very hopeful. "'It sounds like a message I would like to get "'about my son someday.' "'I'm sorry they disappeared,' Jack said. "'Yes,' whispered Gaston. As am I. He shook his head. Well, his voice boomed. It's wartime and war is terrible for everyone, is it not? Yes, it is, said Jack. Got everything, said Annie, returning to the kitchen. She was carrying their boots in Jack's field pack. And here is a bit of food, said Suzette. She gave Annie a small sack. Thanks, said Annie. She put the sack of food in Jack's pack. Then she and Jack pulled on their boots. It is half past eight now said Gaston, looking at his watch. It will be dark by eight o'clock tonight, so you have nearly 12 hours to find your friend. Oh, we almost forgot to ask you, said Annie. She pulled out Kathleen's rhyme. This is the message she sent about where to look for her. She read aloud the third and fourth lines of the rhyme. Three miles east of Sir Kay's grave, cross a river to find a cave. So we know we go to Cain first, said Jack, since that's where Sir Kay is buried and then we'll head three miles east from there and cross a river. The River Orne, said Suzette. Great, said Jack. And then we look for a cave. Yes, but there are many caves east of the river in Mondeville," said Gaston. Long ago, they mined limestone rock in that area, creating caverns and tunnels. I wonder how we find the right one, Jack said. I do not know, said Gaston, frowning. Here are the next lines, said Annie. She showed Gaston the message and read aloud. Look for knights and small round cows, a crack in a rock beneath the boughs. Knights, growled Gaston. What does your friend mean? Knights in armor? Knights from the Middle Ages? Annie shrugged. Small round cows, said Suzette. She shook her head. That doesn't make sense to me. Nor to me, said Gaston. It's okay. We'll figure out that part later, said Annie. You have been a big help just telling us about the River Orne and the caves in Mondeville. She put the note back in her pocket. Let's go, said Jack. He took his field pack from Annie and pulled it on. Come along then, said Gaston. He led them out of the farmhouse into the chilly morning. The windy air smelled of wood smoke. The sky was overcast. Do you have money, said Suzette. Actually, no, said Jack. Gaston, said Suzette. Gaston reached into the pocket of his trousers and brought out a handful of coins. French francs for you, he said, handing them to Jack. Thank you. Jack dropped the francs into his pocket. Gaston, they will need bicycles too, said Suzette. Yes, yes, come along, said Gaston. They all followed him to the barn. Gaston stepped inside and came out a moment later carrying two bikes. You can ride these. They belonged to our boys when they were younger. Just follow any road to the south said Suzette, and you will come to Cain. Keep to the back roads, said Gaston. There were fewer motor cars on them. Which way is south, asked Annie. Wait, I will give you something to guide you. Suzette slipped back into the house and returned a moment later. Take this compass. It belonged to Tom and Theo. She handed a small silver compass to Annie. Then she gave Jack and Annie each a flat black cap. These berets belonged to them too. Thank you, said Annie. When they put on the berets, Jack adjusted his to look like Gaston's. Suzette smiled. Good. Now you look French. If you come to a checkpoint, said Gaston, act very calm when you pass the sentries. If they stop you and ask for papers, show them your identity cards. Do not give the V sign to anyone unless you are certain that person is on your side. Many of our citizens do not belong to the resistance, Suzette explained. "'In these times, you never know "'who your friends and enemies are,' growled Gaston. "'And that is why you must tell no one "'about the invasion tomorrow. "'We won't, we promise,' said Annie. "'But I'll tell you guys something,' said Jack. "'What is that?' said Gaston. "'Jack took a deep breath and then said, "'The invasion will be a success. "'Tom and Theo wrote the truth. "'France will gain back its freedom.' "'Gaston gave him a crooked smile.' Jack's right, said Annie. It might take time, but we know you'll be free. We know it for a fact. Sudden tears filled Gaston's eyes. He nodded briskly and then turned his face away. Thank you for your kind words, children, said Suzette, putting an arm around Gaston. Ride south on the lane running past the farm. Gaston will send your message over the wireless. I hope your SOE contact receives it, and I hope you find your dear friend and take her back to England with you. Thanks, said Jack. Thanks for everything. Jack and Annie climbed onto the bikes. They rode down the bumpy dirt path away from the farmhouse. When they came to the lane, Annie pulled out the compass. South, that way, she said, pointing to the right. Before they turned onto the lane, Jack and Annie looked back. The French couple was still watching them. Gaston held up two fingers and a V is for victory sign. Jack and Annie each flashed the sign back at him. Then they turned onto the lane and headed south. Chapter 7, Friends and Enemies. Jack and Annie rode with the wind at their backs. The spring air smelled of plowed soil and freshly cut hay. As their bicycles wobbled down the dirt lane, they passed apple orchards, wheat fields, vineyards, and farmhouses. I can't believe it, Jack called to Annie. The Allied invasion of Normandy. That was called D-Day. D-Day. Have you ever heard of it? Yes, but I don't know exactly what it was, said Annie. I read a book about it, said Jack. It was one of the most important military events of all time. Over a 100,000 soldiers landed in Normandy, France to fight Hitler's army. It was the beginning of the end of World War II. I can't believe we came here on the day before D-Day. I hope everything doesn't get destroyed by bombs, said Annie. It's beautiful here. Yeah, it is, said Jack. The countryside looked like an old painting. Peach-colored farmhouses, apple trees with white flowers, red poppies blooming in fields. Everything was so peaceful and lovely that Jack could hardly believe the Battle of D-Day would start here tomorrow. It gave him a strange feeling to know what was coming. After bumping over ruts and ridges, Jack and Annie came to the end of the dirt lane. Annie checked the compass. Left, she said. They turned left and pedaled down the wide road bordered by hedgerows. The hedges were so tall, it was impossible to see beyond them. Are we on a back road? Annie asked. I can't tell, Jack said. They hadn't gone much farther when a motorcycle turned onto the road and headed their way. Friend? Enemy? Jack wondered anxiously. In case it was an enemy, he called out to Annie. Act normal. Right, said Annie. They both smiled broadly and steered their bikes single file along the edge of the road. Jack was glad that Suzette had said wearing berets made them look French. When the motorcycle roared past, the driver didn't even look their way. The motorcycle disappeared in the distance, but then another car turned onto the road. As it headed toward them, Jack tried to look normal again. Just as the car sped past, he glanced in its direction. To his amazement, a woman driver flashed a quick V is for victory sign. Jack grinned and gave the sign back. Friend, he called to Annie. The woman's V signal made him feel hopeful. Maybe this isn't going to be so hard, he thought. Coming toward them next was a horse and a cart driven by a young man who looked like a farmer. Seated beside him was a teenage girl. When they saw Jack and Annie, they smiled and nodded. Definitely friends, Jack thought. When he got close to the couple, he flashed the V is for victory sign at them too. An angry look crossed the man's face. He cried out in alarm. He pulled his horse to a halt and pointed to Jack and Annie. Couriers, resistance, he shouted. Oh, no, thought Jack. Gaston was right. In these times, you really didn't know who was a friend and who was an enemy. Behind the horse and cart, another motorcycle was rumbling down the road. The rider wore a gray uniform. The people in the cart flagged him down. Go, Jack cried. He and Annie wheeled around and raced their bikes against the wind. When Jack looked back, the motorcycle was coming toward them, fast. Ditch the bikes, Annie shouted. They skidded to a stop, dropped their bikes to the ground, and bolted through an opening in a hedgerow. Scraped by branches and thorns, they pushed their way through the narrow gap until they burst onto farmland. As they ran through a cow pasture, Jack looked around wildly for a place to hide. Barn, he cried, pointing. He and Annie ran toward a red wooden building next to a silo. When they drew closer to the entrance, they saw a man in white clothes putting two large milk cans into the back of a white truck. Help, cried Annie. The milkman looked startled, but as the motorcycle crashed through the hedge at the edge of the property, he seemed to understand everything at once. Quick, in the truck, he shouted. Jack and Annie scrambled into the back of the truck and found a hiding place behind rows of tall milk canisters. Crouching behind the canisters, they covered their mouths so no one would hear them gasping for breath. The milkman slammed the back door of the truck shut. There was a panel between the front seat and the windowless back area. Jack and Annie sat in the dark and listened to the motorcycle thunder closer and then stop. Through the closed door, they could hear bits of conversation from outside. Yes. Two. Boy and girl. Resistance couriers. Yes. You are sure? Yes. Good. Thank you for your help. Moments later, Jack heard the motorcycle rev up and drive away. The milkman started his engine. Then, with the large canisters jiggling in their crates, the truck began bouncing over the road. "'I guess we're going with him,' whispered Annie. "'I wonder if he's a friend or enemy,' whispered Jack. "'A friend,' said Annie. "'He must have told the motorcycle guy we went in the opposite direction.' "'Or he could be taking us to the police,' whispered Jack. "'Maybe the motorcycle guy was thanking him for locking us in his truck and taking us to the Nazis.' Oh no, I hadn't thought of that, Annie whispered. Clutching their berets, they jiggled with the clattering milk cans as the truck continued on. After a while, the milk truck stopped again. It sounded like the driver was getting out. Jack froze. He heard the back door handle click. Then the door swung open. The milkman pulled out a large milk canister and whispered, All clear. Hurry. Thanks, said Annie. Leaving the door open, the milkman carried the canister away from the truck. Go, said Jack. He and Annie jumped out of the back of the truck. It was parked in front of a long building with a sign that said, Cane Milk Processing Plant. Look, we're in Cane, said Annie, pointing to the sign. Isn't that great? Go, go, said Jack. He and Annie raced across the street and headed down a narrow alley. Wait, Jack said, stopping in his tracks. We shouldn't run. It will make us look suspicious. They stopped for a moment and tried to catch their breath. The milkman was a friend, said Annie. Definitely, said Jack. Okay, let's go. Act normal. Jack and Annie stepped out from the alley and into a busy town square. In the middle of the square was an outdoor market. Women with children strolled from booth to booth, buying lettuce, peas, potatoes, flowers, linens, and lace. Surrounding the square were cobblestone streets lined with quaint buildings. There was a church covered with ivy, a small train depot, and a sidewalk cafe with a red-striped awning. Again, Jack found it difficult to believe that a great battle was about to take place. "'This is all going to change tomorrow,' he said to Annie as they strolled through the market. "'I know,' Annie said. "'I wish we could tell everyone to leave today.' "'Yep,' said Jack. He looked at a clock tower in the square." It's almost 10. We have 10 hours left until nightfall. Well, we're in Kane, said Annie. Now we have to go three miles east to the River Orne and the caves of Mondeville. Right, said Jack. Excuse me, Annie called you a young woman pushing a baby buggy. Can you please tell us how to get to Mondeville? It is very easy, said the woman. Just a short train ride. You get off at the first stop. She pointed to the depot next to the cafe. Thanks, said Annie. You're welcome, said the woman. She waved two fingers and kept pushing the carriage across the square. "'Friend,' Annie said to Jack. "'How do you know?' he asked. "'She gave me a V as for victory sign,' said Annie. "'Or maybe she just happened to use two fingers to wave to you,' said Jack. "'Even though the milkman was a friend, "'we can never be sure who our friends and enemies are. "'Remember the farmer and the girl in the cart?' "'Yeah, I didn't see that coming,' said Annie. "'Not in a million years,' said Jack. "'I thought,' said Annie.' The roar of engines interrupted her. Four open black cars rolled into the square and parked in a line. Each car had a red, white, and black symbol on the side. Jack recognized it as a swastika, the symbol of the Nazis. Soldiers got out of the cars and stood at the edge of the square, watching the shoppers. They wore gray uniforms with black belts and tall boots. Enemies, Jack said under his breath. Definitely, said Annie. Chapter 8. The Train. With the arrival of the Nazis, the atmosphere in the square changed. Vendors fell silent. Shoppers lowered their heads and grabbed the hands of their children. We should catch that train as soon as possible, said Jack. You bet, said Annie. Look normal. With their hands in their pockets, Jack and Annie walked as calmly as they could from the market toward the train depot. With quick steps, they crossed the street and entered the small station. Tickets, Jack said to Annie. He headed to the ticket window and placed some coins in front of the ticket agent. Two for Mondeville, please. The ticket agent counted out some coins, then gave Jack two tickets. Thank you, said Jack. He and Annie stepped away from the window and walked out to the tracks. Jack noticed that the waiting passengers were anxiously watching a scene at the end of the station platform. Some Nazi soldiers had stopped an old man. The man had his hands in the air. He looked terrified as the soldiers checked his pockets. What are they doing? Annie asked. Don't look, said Jack. He grabbed her hand so she wouldn't hurry to the man's aid. But he felt fury, too. Why torment an old man, he wondered. He wanted to shout at the Nazi soldiers, Leave us all alone! But just like the other bystanders, he was too scared to do anything. He gripped Annie's hand tighter and pulled her in the other direction. Come on. To Jack's great relief, he heard the train whistle blow. Soon the train rounded the bend, puffing steam. The crowd stepped back as the black engine chugged into the station. It let out an ear-piercing shriek and jolted to a stop. Doors slid open and people stepped out onto the platform and headed for the station. "'All aboard!' shouted the conductor, and the waiting passengers moved toward the tracks. Jack and Annie climbed into one of the rear cars. "'Where are our seats?' Annie asked Jack. "'I don't know,' he said. He looked at their tickets. "'It says second class.' "'Excuse me, where are the second class seats?' Annie asked an older woman with a friendly face. Follow me. The woman led them up the train corridor and stopped in front of an empty compartment. You can sit in there, she said, then continued on her way. Annie and Jack opened a glass door and stepped into a small space with four seats. Jack pulled off his field pack and sat down next to Annie near the window. I hate them, said Annie. Jack knew exactly who she meant. The whistle blew. The train jolted and began moving, huffing and puffing. It left the depot and chugged down the tracks away from Cain. It's a short ride, said Annie. Not short enough, said Jack. Listen. Even above the roar of the train, he could hear boots stomping down the corridor outside their compartment. Ignore them, said Annie. Got it, said Jack. Oh, Jean, look, lovely trees, Annie pointed out the window. Yes, Amy, they are lovely, exclaimed Jack. Remember, Before he could finish, the door to the compartment slid open. Two Nazi officials stood in the doorway. Identity papers, please, one said. Jack's heart started to pound, but he turned and faked a friendly smile. Oh, yes, sure, he said. He pulled out his identity card and showed it to the official. Annie smiled and showed her card, too. The soldier looked carefully at the cards, then handed them back. Your bag now, he said to Jack, holding out his hand. My pack? Sure said jack but before he could hand over his field pack annie snatched it away from him why do you want it she asked the man grinning i need to look inside it said the official really said annie there's nothing interesting inside why is she doing this jack wondered he couldn't think of anything in the pack that could get them into trouble just lunch and jack's pencil and notebook with all the notes torn out give it to me demanded the official annie didn't move Her smile had faded, replaced by a look of fear. What is wrong with her? Jack wondered. He gently pried the field pack loose from her grip. It's okay, he assured her. He can look in it. Grinning crazily, he handed the field pack over to the soldier. The Nazi unbuckled Jack's pack. He reached in and pulled out the small cloth sack that Suzette had given them. He opened it and took out two apples, a chunk of cheese, and two pieces of black bread. He handed the food to the other official. Then he reached deeper into the field pack and pulled out some papers. Jack was confused. Where did those come from? The soldier held up one of the papers. It was one of the flyers printed by Tom and Theo. Hope and courage. Freedom soon. The soldier put the papers back into the pack. Then he narrowed his eyes at Jack. So you are working for the other side? What? No, said Jack. He looked at Annie. How? Sorry, Annie whispered. I wanted to help them. Tom and Theo, stand up, the official barked at Jack. No, cried Annie. Please, he didn't do anything. It was me. I did it. The Nazi official pushed Annie aside. Boy, I am placing you under arrest, he said. But just as the man reached out to grab Jack, an explosion rocked the train car. The sound of screeching brakes split the air. The train ground to a sudden stop. Jack and Annie were thrown from their seats. The soldiers fell to their hands and knees. Passengers scrambled up the corridor, screaming and yelling, What happened? What happened? Resistance blew up tracks ahead. The two Nazis jumped to their feet. Ignoring Jack and Annie, they hurried away from the compartment. Jack looked out the window. A few hundred yards in front of the train, black smoke was rising into the air. "Plan green, he said. Let's get out of here. He grabbed his field pack and started out of the compartment, but more soldiers were running down the corridor, shoving all the passengers aside. Annie grabbed Jack's arm. The window, she cried. Out, climb out. Jack straddled the window ledge, then swung his leg over and dropped to the embankment below. He reached up and helped Annie drop to the ground too. Looking down the tracks, Jack saw train workers and soldiers running toward the billowing black smoke. Sirens were screaming. Passengers were fleeing from all the cars on the train. Come on, said Jack. He and Annie ran down the embankment toward some woods near the tracks. Then they took off through the brush, weaving around mossy trees and pale spring ferns. They pushed back twigs and vines, trying to get as far away from the train as possible. Are we heading in the right direction? Jack asked, panting. Annie pulled out the compass and looked at it. Yes, southwest. Good. Keep going, said Jack. They ran until they came to an, to the edge of a road. Up the road, a bridge crossed a wide river. A sign next to the bridge said, River Orne. That's the river we want, cried Annie. Cross a river to find a cave. Cross it, said Jack. He and Annie hurried to the bridge and raced across the river. On the other side was a small restaurant. A sign on the front said, Sylvie's Bistro. Stop, stop, said Jack, gasping. Before we go any farther, let's stop there. Rest and make a plan. Great, I'm dying of thirst, said Annie. They caught their breath. Then they straightened their berets, smiled faked smiles, and walked into the bistro. Inside the crowded dining room, the air smelled of coffee and cigarette smoke. Jack and Annie slipped over to an empty table and sat down. I'm so sorry, Annie said, leaning toward Jack. I didn't mean to get you into trouble. I, before she could go on, a teenage waitress brought silverware and menus to their table. May I help you, sir? The girl asked Jack. For a moment, Jack just stared at the dark-haired, rosy-cheeked girl. He was still in a daze, both from being arrested and from the explosion. Can we have two lemonades, please? Annie asked. The waitress nodded and left. I'm so sorry, Annie whispered again to get Jack. When I went down to the cellar to get our stuff, I grabbed a bunch of flyers and put them in your field pack. Why? asked Jack. Why would you do that? I thought while we were looking for Kathleen, we could do what Tom and Theo did, said Annie. You know, put up flyers when no one was looking. It seemed like a good, okay, okay, I get it, said Jack. But we can't worry about their mission. We have our own mission. He reached into his pack and pulled out the flyers. We have to get rid of these. If we don't, Jack, Annie said, looking over his shoulder, Jack turned around. The waitress was standing behind him with their lemonades. When her gaze fell on the flyers in Jack's hand, her eyes widened. Jack clutched the batch of papers to his chest. Without a word, the waitress put down their drinks and hurried to the kitchen at the back of the bistro. We have to go, said Jack. She saw the flyers. He jammed the papers into his pack. Wait, said Annie. We can't, said Jack. She's gone to tell someone, like her boss. They'll call the police before Jack and Annie could stand up to leave. The waitress burst out of the kitchen with a tall, stern-looking woman wearing an apron. The woman's heavy shoes clomped on the wooden floor as she headed over to Jack and Annie. "'My mother wants to talk to you,' the waitress said. "'Oh, no,' thought Jack. The woman pulled up a chair and sat down. She leaned forward. "'Tell me, please,' she whispered. "'How do you know Tom and Theo?'